0: We all know property investing is a long game, and often people don't realise just how long. I'm Arjun Paliwal, head of research and founder at Investikit Bias Agency, and welcome to another episode of the Investikit Podcast. Today's episodes for all those who have an established property in their portfolio. Now, if you haven't got one yet, then and- you're considering one, I'd still tune in because it's going to give you some tangible tips to note down to be able to ensure your journey is smooth as possible. Coming back to the 20-year or 15-year timelines that we often see, which I feel is the long term, this is what's really needed in a portfolio to hit certain compound growth goals, consolidate if needed, and create a sustainable passive income. And the most common figures we hear are usually between that sort of 100 to 150 or in some cases, 150 to 200k. And so if this 15 to 20 year journey is going to be crucial to your wealth building, then it's important to have some key takeaways to make sure that that journey is smooth as possible and as easy as possible. Because where you fall short are all those stories that you hear, you know, from common barbecue conversations, right? Selling too early. I wish I hadn't sold. I had a lot of maintenance. I had to get rid of this one. Or finances were a bit tough during that period. So It wasn't the right time, couldn't invest further or had to get rid of that property. So today's episode is all about making sure that you've got key takeaways and tips to ensure that when you're growing a portfolio, there are considerations to what you can do to be able to hold it for longer and hold it easier. Now, personally, my wife and I have 17 properties valued at just under $12 million in holdings. I don't share that with you to brag or boast. I share that with you to go and say that whatever problem many of the people listening to this might feel, let's say two or three properties or four or five properties, or even 10 properties if you're holding them at a certain value, I'm hoping that you can tune in and see that I face those problems too. I face the same challenges. And these are key things that I am going to share with you that I do to get past those through the journey of my earlier days, through even today as a more experienced investor. So let's take it back to part number one. And this is the part where... Most people fear. It's repairs and maintenance. Now, what's interesting with repairs and maintenance is that it wasn't until I asked myself this one question that I realized that it's not as bad as it sounds. And the question was this, if I gave away 1% of growth every single year, would I still be comfortable with where my portfolio planning and mapping takes me? So what did I do? I went to our portfolio mapping solution and I actually took away that 1% growth. And so when I did that 6% coming down to 5% long-term compound growth or 7% coming down to 6%, yes, all the compounding gurus out there will talk about the squillions of dollars lost, but they won't realize that you still get pretty close or if not, still achieve your goal. And so I thought to myself, hey, look, you know what? I'd be okay with that. If I ended up having a 7% projection long-term and it came down to 6%, I'll still take it. It's better than me not doing anything. And that's when it hit home. A $500,000 property, for example, having 1% of maintenance, which by the way, is extremely unlikely to happen every single year, is $5,000 every single year in maintenance happening. And so it's not until I'd rephrase that to myself that now when I look at maintenance, if over the 20-year period, my $500,000 property kept having 1% a year in maintenance, which is unlikely, I'd be okay with it. So that's the first core cool tip, really asking yourself a question in that way. And guess what? My behavior's changed from stressing about every single maintenance request that came through, getting second, third, fourth quotes, to then changing it from a thought of, okay, that's within a, a decent range, a couple hundred dollars, it could have gotten maybe cheaper, maybe even $500 cheap if I push hard enough, but I'm okay. I won't lose sleep over it. I'll get back to doing what I do best and let's approve. Let's also approve it because I just want the person living there to get something done sooner and let's move on. Also, another thing with maintenance is that people sit on something for too long. When I say sit on something, it's that thought of something. So a hot water tank goes. That hot water tank, when you replace it, you may not replace it again for another 10 or 15 years. So that constant thought about that decision, how I hated having to do that. That's not a great outcome. I'm now anti-property investor. I want my next property to be newer, not as old in age. I want the next property to have this checked and that checked and this checked and this way. You, know, you get too stuck onto those thoughts instead of just realizing that that's A, firstly, something that could be either a write-off or a depreciable asset. Number two is it's new, so it's not going to cause trouble for another 5, 10 or 15 years. And number three is the 1% rule. If I had that 1% happen, would I be okay with it? And so this was a big mindset shift for me that I still see many investors, you know, struggle with because they often get caught up in the particulars and then it's not so much getting caught up in it or the fact that someone may look at me and go, "Arjun, you're silly for overpaying that trade" or maybe, you know, not hustling to make it cheaper, but it's actually the outcome of your decision-making process or the outcome of the stress that you've placed on yourself that actually impacts you. Because what stems from that is the thinking of property being too hard. Or number two, is that you place this you know, process of thinking to yourself that now you need to make different decisions. When really, what happens if it was just a, unlucky stretch and all of this stuff happened in year one and you might not have anything happen for the next three or four years. Now, from experience, I can say that I've seen that. I've seen some properties where I've had a string of maintenance in year one. I've seen some that have a little bit every single year and others that have nothing for three or four years. I feel like I've dodged a bullet and then in year five, everything goes wrong. And so from that experience, I urge you to just really consider that 1% rule. If 1% fell off my long-term compound growth averages, would I still be okay? Would I still make that decision for my future? Would I still make that decision for my family's investing future? And that will really get you to rethink how you look at property maintenance. The second tip is actually about risk management. So people can sometimes hear my story or hear our client's stories of how they go to two, three, four, five, six properties in such a short period. But the truth is, they don't go at it without certain risk management strategies in place. And neither do I. What are some examples? If you're an extremely aggressive investor, having six months of buffer for a property aside is key. If you're a little bit more conservative in how you approach things, maybe having nine and maximum 12 months of buffer. And by buffer, I mean repayments and an estimate for what bills could be on an annualized basis, broken down by months and putting that aside what that's going to do for you is that it adds to the element of that first point which is if vacancies if maintenance occurs you're able to handle it and you're probably realizing a common theme that's coming up from point 1 and point 2 and that's don't sweat the small stuff because as time goes on in property investing you're going to have more properties in your portfolio you're going to have more things to think about and the longer you delay that transition from your first to second to third or fourth property because of these pain points that you felt along the way you're then going to have have less time on your holding clock for it to compound grow for rents to increase for cash flow to start building for equity to start building so this is really key when it comes to it the buffers will allow you to go through those periods but also make you feel that sense of invincibility as you move through the next purchase. And again, it's the flow on thought that comes from not having it. For example, imagine if you don't have buffers on your first property, you're now looking at your second property. Do you feel you'll be as comfortable to certain cash flows that might not be as good on that second property as a result of not having buffers? My gut feel is that you're likely gonna feel that you need to have a property that produces this phenomenal cash flow. You set this expectation and maybe you were looking at 10 cities to begin with, and now you're only looking at two. Can you see what that does? It's not just the thought of what happens from a mindset, a comfort, but it's actually the flow on decision-making that happens when you don't have certain rules and systems in place. So by not having certain buffers in place, you're now moving to the next property, seeking and expecting a certain type of property so you don't have to think about the buffer. But I may now go into this next opportunity and go, you know what, I don't mind if I pick up this property and it's under rented and I've got to hold back because I like the area that it's in. I think this is going to achieve my long term goals and I feel confident that the rent will go up eventually or whether I need to renovate this property to unlock certain things. I'm going to be a little bit more open to it. So can you see how my mindset is a little bit different now from that first investor because they have transitioned without buffers. So they're needing to make sure everything is always perfect all the time. And again, it sets you up for failure when those sorts of things don't happen. So now we're thinking of buffers, There are not just the way that everyone thinks of to create buffers, which is your own savings. You can actually even unlock equity, keep it aside in your offset and create huge buffers as a result. I've seen many people take out 100, 200 or even $300,000 of growth that we've generated for them in their portfolio through our buyer's agency and the acquisitions that we buy, that we pick up for them. And when they've used that equity for subsequent purchases, they haven't used it all. So to give you an example, if you had 150k equity removed, and you're now looking to make your next purchase, say it's your third one, and you need to keep 120k aside, you're going to keep that gap, you know, put it 30k aside, left over in equity. That's still funds that's yours, you can still use it, yes, at the cost of interest. But that's an increased or an immediate buffer created for things that you might not have thought of earlier. And as you're taking out equity and always leaving that little bit behind, you're actually creating buffers in advance for your next purchases so you feel that much more comfortable as you scale. Your decision-making is less about you know, those factors that the other example I raised would need, and now it's more just about ticking properties, acquisitions in certain cities, for your plan. And this is where the calm investor mindset starts coming in. So now that you've thought of things like buffers and also how to look at, you know, maintenance, the next tip to make your investing journey a lot easier is all about the finance. So when it comes to finance, there are so many different ways that you can look at things. There's principal and interest, interest only, there might be, you know, mortgage brokers, or bankers, there's various thoughts that who do you go with? How do you make things work, and so forth. What I've come to learn is I prefer having control. Now, you have to assess your own situation and how this plans out, uh, plays out for you. But principle and interest, and interest only is an often a uh, question that often you know comes up. And I've always been an interest only person, and the reason why is that I'm fine with making principal and interest repayments, but I'd rather that principal money be sitting in offset accounts so I have greater control of the funds in case I wish to deploy them again for say subsequent purchases. Those are decisions that I wanna be able to make without having to go back to the bank again to ask for my money that I'd put in to pay down that loan. So this is where I'm still putting aside money as if it was a principal and interest repayment but except the loan is just on interest only. So it's just about calculating the difference between interest only and P&I and putting that extra in your actual offset accounts. So this is something you'll need to review for your own situation, the pros and cons of it, but it's been a tip that I've deployed for my portfolio to keep repayments low, but also to keep the money going into funds as if it was P&I, except a lot of the money is sitting in offset against my home that I live in, so it's the right sort of debt, that non-deductible debt that's seeing its journey go down. Another tip I wanna share with you is now when it comes to the world of rents and property values. And it's all about keeping your finger on the pulse. You know, the property investing world is quite, you know, illiquid. It's not like stocks and shares where you're able to constantly, you know, look at the daily balances and keep things in check. And there's some pros and there's some cons to that. A pro to that is you don't feel as jumpy or up and down when you see the bad news or good news like you do in, the stocks and the world of uh, shares. But the the bad news is that being illiquid does mean that you you don't get that accessibility to it as frequently as you like. So I've got systems in play and the system that we deploy here is that every 12 months, I'd like to look at bank valuations across my properties, see how things are going. Not for me to suddenly go, oh, that was amazing or not amazing uh, because I still trust in that long-term future of property investing. But the point is by staying more active, I can constantly review if there is equity for me to release, for me to then make subsequent purchases or improve upon my buffer, and for me to also take a moment to review comparable sales and comparable rents, to be that one step ahead of the property manager to make sure that I'm being guided appropriately and I get to be able to look at my portfolio more holistically. Now, people might be out there going, I review things every month, every three months, six months. Well, there's a reason why I said 12 months. You don't want to be so engulfed into the news the commentary of how things are going but from a 12-month perspective you're also staying in it so if you in case you're in your acquisition journey you're making the journey easier by constantly looking at your assets wherever you think you're not there you end up getting there from that equity that's needed and same with buffers where you think you're not there the equity may add to those buffers as you review it also as you're reviewing it rents come up as a key point of discussion and you can see if things are on track or if maybe you need a adjust things a little bit as part of your journey. So here are a couple of key things and they're quite important in your journey to make it easier. You know, having a look at how you structure your finances, making sure that you've got the finger on the pulse of investing. And then of course, also ensuring that you look at maintenance in a different way. That 1% rule just made me rethink everything and feel so calm about it because I know things will come up and the timing of things will come up I'd still be happy if someone took away 1% of my growth over the long term because of the long-term compounding results still being so healthy in property. And lastly, talking about risk management and buffers. So as you're going on your investment journey, I know there's going to be moments where it's all about the cool capital growth story or the groundbreaking research that you uncovered or the massive passive income that you want to get to. But just remember, this is a 15 and sometimes 20 year game when it comes to achieving those goals. So applying the right, having a right mindset from how you hold your assets and think of it long term, avoiding, you know, you sweating the small stuff to then transitioning to how you might manage your finances, something for you to review as well. And lastly, keeping your finger on the pulse so you can look for opportunities to transition that portfolio further to get you to your goals. These are some of the things we chat often about with clients, through our post-settlement catch-ups, that where we, you know, connect with clients of Investigate Buyer's Agency each year, checking in on valuations for them, looking at how they're tracking for their goals, you know, make sure that they've got sufficient buffers aside. So as they're investing, it's not just about the investing, but it's about investing safely, and this way that they can keep, you know, their focus on the long-term of things and not get, you know, so down to the detail on those little maintenance things that can come up from them. That's what we do on our portfolio and I know makes a massive difference. So I hope these tips help you on your journey.